you know that I actually used, um, I used chat GPT to help me write this talk? So it took me 30 seconds, the whole talk, and I had a, and I had a week off. It's been really nice. Actually, it was quite useful as a, as a kind of research tool. Um, I was asking questions about different things that I'm, little bits of research, and it was really, it was really useful. I found it very helpful. So, um, welcome if this is your first time to Hope. Really good to be with you. Uh, my name's Chris, and uh, that was Alice, my wife, and we're the sort of lead pastors here. Love being part of this church, and um, I've really enjoyed this morning already. I found it very uh, edifying, uplifting. And we're in this season at the moment on prayer, and I've got some, some PowerPoints up here. One of, the, one of the dreams that started Hope back in the year 2000 was a sense of calling to build a prayer center for the city. And now, 23 years on, we're revisiting that and we're asking God afresh, what does it look like? So that's, that's the kind of impetus for us uh, doing this, this series on, on prayer. So just a little refresher of the last few weeks. Um, talk one was, on, was, was a reminder of that calling to be a prayer center. And we looked at the kind of prophetic history of that and, uh, and other sort of prayer centers in the Bible and around the world. Uh, talk two, Bill spoke about learning from Jesus and his life of prayer. Number three, um, I think think that's probably Alice on Jesus. Talk four, learning from the early church. And all of these talks are available on our website or on uh, as podcasts or on our YouTube channel if you want to catch up. And then this is today. We're we're learning from um, Paul. So Paul was, uh, if you're not familiar with Paul, he was an early Christian who basically took uh, the good news of Jesus to the non-Jewish world. And he wrote half of the Bible, half of the New Testament. And so my kind of hope and my prayer for us uh, for this next half an hour, 40 whatever it is, how long we've got for, for me to speak and then for us to respond, is, um, is that we, I, I think what God's doing, God's growing us in our, in our prayer lives as individuals and as uh, a church. And, I, and, I, and I'm hoping and expecting really that, that what we look at here will just kind of gently feed and encourage us. And I think it will be different in different ways. Um, uh, different different ones of us uh, have different relationships with prayer, and uh, my hope and expectation is that this, as we look at Paul's life of prayer and the things he taught about prayer, that we'll, we'll all be we'll all be fed. That's um that's my expectation, and we're going to be looking at uh, three kind of themes, uh, going through this intimacy, immersion, and integration, and they're three themes that I see in in Paul's life of prayer. So the first one, uh, this picture is. It was one of the first pictures created of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul Golf has been talking about, about, has used this picture a number of times with us in the last couple of years, showing the, the warmth of relationship around the table between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and that through Jesus, we're invited in to, to kind of draw up a fourth chair and, and be in a, in a fourth chair at this table of relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father. Pretty pretty amazing. So this is our first kind of theme running through um, Acts and the, and, the, and the teachings of Paul on prayer, intimacy. Billy Graham said, next to Jesus Christ, there's no person in history whose influence has been so universal, so profound, and so enduring as that of, of the Apostle Paul. Paul took the gospel into the non-Jewish world. He started loads of churches. 
and he wrote uh, half of the New Testament, a lot of which is the kind of foundational teaching, theology, sort of core beliefs upon which we, our faith is, is living now. So you kind of expect someone with such, who has such an impact on the world, um, thinking about similar people, to, to, about people today who are influential and, and so on. You, you kind of expect this person to have um, a lot of respect, you know, in his time. You expect him to be probably fairly comfortable. He didn't, he didn't pursue wealth or, or finances, but you'd still expect, at least from the kind of first century equivalent of kind of book royalties or whatever, you'd expect him to have a kind of a comfortable life, a decent level of income, be well respected by, his, by, by, by Christians and by people around him. Um, but actually, Paul's life, I think, was 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 really hard. I think his life was I think his life was 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 really tough, and uh, I think it, it didn't get easier either as he got older. You know, I kind of you kind of assume that this sort of sage in his old age will just be able to live in a, in relative comfort and just share his wisdom and experience with with people around him, and in, in, in you know from the comfort of a of a good good chair at least. But actually, I think his life was 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 really the opposite to that. And um, I want to read a, a little bit here from two Corinthians. So it's a letter that he writes to the church in Greece, to the city in Greece, in Corinth. And um, basically, he's gone in there and he started a church there. And then other false teachers have gone in and they and they've kind of slandered him. They kind of undermined him, kind of trolled him, kind of trashed his message. And they're, and they're really disrupting the church away from the, the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, they're really sort of twisting it and undermining him. So he writes this letter in part to justify himself and explain who he is. And in it, he lists out some of his hardships. And I'm, I'm going to read this list in a minute. And I, I haven't experienced anything like any of these things. So, so for me, they're pretty abstract. The nearest I probably get is... Is thinking about people who are, mig- who are c- crossing the English Channel or the or the Mediterranean on boats, you know, um, migrants in little in little boats, and 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 occasionally we hear in the news a, a boat gets a boat gets sunk or, or and, and these people are. That's the kind of nearest I can get to relating to some of Paul's experiences here. But just listen to this list of things. And as he, as he writes this, he's probably about forty years old. So he's, he he became a Christian when he was about twenty. So this is describing his first twenty years or so of following Jesus. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Can you imagine being whipped on your back once? I've never experienced anything like that. Um, maybe some people in the room have, been, have experienced that sort of pain. But, but it says five times I received 39 lashes on my back. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. So stoning is when people throw rocks at you and, 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 and they keep going until you're dead. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold, and I've been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's the bit I can probably relate to most, the, the sort of weight of concern for the churches and that sort of sense of uh, c- concern and care and the kind of emotional load. Um, I have a small, small portion of that, you know, but he had a, a far greater, I think, concern. So that was his life, his first 20 years or so. Um, he goes on and he dies when he's about 60. 
And so he's got another 20 years of life like this. So you kind of ask the question, how did, how did he sustain that for 40 years? How does someone experience that sort of stuff and not just give up or, 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 or you know, take or check out? Or how, how, do, how do you do that? And I think the answer, um, we see these glimpses through the New Testament uh, in his writings, in his letters and things. And it's an example we'll look at as well in Acts in a minute. You see that he's got a relationship with God in prayer um, that, that carries him. And uh, this, this, this is him writing to the church in Philippi. And just off the back of, off the back of that list of stuff that he's experienced, let's, um, let's, let's have that in mind and read this. Don't worry about anything. Okay? It can be quite trivial for us, maybe. But he, he's, he's certainly got stuff to worry about. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So that clearly works. You know, he's not the sort of guy that would say, say something if it didn't work. <laughs> and um, and that this is his experience, you know. You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. And we, we, we can see that, that Paul, uh, Paul knew that. He experienced it. There's an example... Um, in uh, in the book of Acts, which is more like a narrative describing the events of the early church, and there's a time in um, in Acts 16 when it describes Paul and uh, Barnabas. No, Silas. Paul and Barnabas are in jail. One of these times that he's in, in prison, and it's late at night. It's the middle of the night. I've been to the jail in Rome where Peter was imprisoned, and um, I've also been to Hawthorne. I'm going to Hawthorne Prison here a little bit, and it's far worse. <laughs> and it's you know we think about the we see the documentaries about the bad stuff in English prisons, but um, but this is a whole other level. This place in Rome, under the underground, horrible, wet, cold, just a nasty place. And uh, we presume that this prison that Paul was in would have been something something like that. So they're in this prison, and uh, and but, uh, and this is what they're doing. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas. Were, um, were in the prison and they were at prayer and they were singing a robust hymn to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. So you just get the picture of them. They're just joyfully, the sort of word is a sort of joy, they're just singing a joyful song to God in the midst of this prison. And this is before any miracles happened. Pretty soon afterwards, the doors broke open and there's some, some pretty extraordinary miracles. But that's, but that's Paul's kind of posture of, of, of joyful singing in the midst of being in um, uh a nasty prison. So, um, how, do, how do we lean into this? How do we lean into this kind of uh, intimacy um, with God that was, that was, was Paul's uh, experience? And, I, and I, I think a key thing for us as an encouragement is that the kingdom of God doesn't always come easily. It's not always, um, it's not always just uh, straightforward and bish, bash, bosh, off we go. And I think for us that should be an encouragement because um, a lot of us are working hard at, you know, at, at life. You're contending for breakthrough uh, in, in different areas of your life, uh, contending for, for justice in the city or you know, in, in, what, in whatever area. And, um, and I think it's because of probably the comfort that a lot of us have experienced in the West in recent decades, centuries, it can be, we can have a sort of detached um, theology around that, which is a, which is a false theology, which is that um, 
if life is hard, then actually probably God isn't with me quite as much as he's with someone else who's just flying and cruising along over here. And, 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 and the carpet is rolling out before them. And, and, and there's, a, there's a grace and an ease about the, the life that I see in others. I don't have that same favor on my life. Probably God is not with me as much as he's with that person over there. Or, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall. I'm just, I'm pursuing this thing that I think God's called me to. And, I, and I'm trying to do it with my whole heart. But actually, I'm not seeing breakthrough. Um, it's just really hard. It's a slog. And I think for lots of people, that's, that's you know, seasons in our life at least, that's our experience. And the encouragement is, is that's normal Christianity, as we see in the life of Paul. That's a, this is an encouragement. We can have this false expectation of if God's with us, then doors are going to fly open, carpets have got to roll out, and it's got to just have this ease and so on to it. That's not the kind of Christianity that we see in the Bible. And um, so be encouraged by that. Be encouraged when, uh, when, you know, when things are hard, that actually this is, our, this, is our, this is the position that we take. And I think what goes alongside that thing, that, that mindset that says, if God's really with me, then, then my life's got to look perfect and it's got to be easy. What goes along with that mindset is that when things are hard, we can easily not feel that we can connect with God and we can feel, oh, actually, I'm just going to go to some other comfort or actually um, or I, I, I'm going to count myself as being slightly excluded because I'm not in the really effective class of Christians who's doing these amazing things. And, and we can sort of, you know, but, but, but actually the opposite is true. And, and there's a number of us in this church, a number of people in this church that have been through really hard times in the last few years. And a, and a, a number of people have said to me, actually, I've, I've not regretted the hard times that I've been through. This is not, every, not everyone said this, but, but some people have said, I've not regretted the hard times that I've been through. And actually, I've encountered Jesus more um, through them. And that again, is, that, again, is the gospel. That, again, is why Jesus came to die. That is, is, to, is to meet us in the midst of these kind of challenges, you know. And, 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 and Paul makes these extreme statements, you know, I, I, I consider everything else worthless compared to the joy of knowing Christ Jesus. So what's important for us to know, you know, when life is hard, when, th- when the breakthrough that we're, we're, we're pursuing hasn't yet come, don't give up, don't lose hope, actually press in towards intimacy. Know that you're at the table um, with Jesus. This is why Jesus came to die. And, and, and these are our, our times and our places to experience intimacy with God and a connection with God, which is deeper than we can experience necessarily. It's different to what we experience in the time when there's an ease and a grace and, 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 and everything's just working beautifully. That's the first one, uh, uh, intimacy. I see that theme running right the way through the teachings of Paul and the life of Paul in the book of Acts and in, in the letters that he writes. And the second one is immersion. This is a niche bit of kit from my industry, the church world. If you go to Baptistry UK, you'll find uh, a suite of different baptism pool options. There's the Jordan, there's the Galilee, different shapes and sizes to suit your church's budget. And, um, and I forget which version we had here recently, but on Easter Day we baptised Peter. And um, I forget, we had, the, we had a baptism pool we borrowed from City Church here, one of those speci- specialist bits of church kit. And this is the immer- sort of immersion heater that which turns it from cold water into balmy, pleasant, you know, removal of our, our past life. Uh, baptism water. So this, and actually, so these, this is a big immersion heater. You stick it in the water and it stays there and it, and it, and it pulses out this warmth which heats the pool. Actually, this time, I am, um, because the, the dilemma is it takes a few hours to, to heat, heat up the water. So I, I put it on a timer 
and had it plugged in just here so that it would come on about four o'clock in the morning and uh, get the pool nice and warm. Wouldn't have to be on all night. Didn't want to get up too early. And um, I came in in the morning and the timer had, timer had melted. <laughs> it was such a power, lot of power running through this thing that the time switch, thankfully there was no fire. But, um, but I got a few more hours in bed. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, this is, this is a sort of immersion heater which is used to uh, heat baptism pools. And, uh, and I went through the, the New Testament looking at all of the, uh, this is chat GPT, help me with this. I, look, I asked him to show me all the, all the instances where Paul writes about prayer. And, um, and this is a list of uh, um, all the times that, that Paul uh, mentions prayer, either in his own life or teaching other people. And it's all the times that he does it when he actually mentions a kind of frequency attached, so a sort of a time factor attached to it. So this is about half of his quotes on prayer. And um, if I go to the next, oh, you can't really see that, can you? Can you see that transition? You see the blue? Ready? Blue. Okay. So all the blue bits are where he talks about the frequency with which he prays, or we should pray. So I'll read them out. Romans 1. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God. Romans 12. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Ephesians 1. I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Ephesians 6. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Colossians 1. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God. Colossians 4. Devote, which, which you know, means a kind of wholehearted, implying time as well. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. 1 Thessalonians, we always thank God for you and pray for you constantly. 1 Thessalonians 3, night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you to fill the gaps in your faith. 1 Thess 5, never stop praying. Next one, I urge you, first of all, to pray, pray for all people. So it's holistic prayer. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. 2 Timothy 1, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God who I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. So there's this, there's this immersion heater in the baptism pool of water, pulsing out this heat in, in Paul's life, this constant, ongoing, uh, consistent prayer. Next interesting thing, um, looking, at, looking at these passages on prayer, we're going to go for a green bit this time, you ready? Oh, this is all the times that alongside sort of frequency and so on, it's how, how, how much he mentions thankfulness. This is really interesting. Look how often this is. So, uh, thankfulness and kind of joyfulness. So first one, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Ephesians, I've not stopped thanking God for you and I pray for you constantly. Colossians, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God. Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer and a thankful heart. We always thank God for you and pray for you constantly. I urge you, and I give thanks for them. Timothy, I thank God for you. So this, 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 this other thing is also a pulsating um, habit of being thankful um, to God in, in what in what Paul prays. So I think we, something something that we see we see this as a theme going through um, all of Paul's um, teaching and experience on prayer is it's this, it's this constant immersion heater of um, of radiating prayer. It's just there all the time. <laughs> I don't think we need to worry, by the way, about how 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 we. I, I hope none of you are feeling guilty about. I don't do any of that, or how the heck do I do that? I don't think that's an appropriate response for us to be feeling now. I feel like I feel like what this is doing, what we're doing here, is God is kind of showing us the ecosystem that we live in. 
And, he, and he's showing us the way, the way the world's set up, the way that we are, the way that we engage with God and the world, um, and, and, and live in light of that. I think what we can see from this is that um, prayer is clearly necessary for the world to work, for God's kingdom to come. I think another area of um, misunderstanding that Christians can often have is we can, we can almost have, sometimes we, you, you hear Christians saying, oh, if, if it's God's will, then that will happen. And, it, and people say it in a kind of passive way, as if, if God, wants, if God wants me to get that job, or if, or if God wants that person to um, get to know Jesus, then, then, then it will happen. That is not Christianity. That's not the teachings of Jesus at all. Um, so much of what happened in the world is not God's will. God doesn't want awful suffering. He doesn't want people to go without. He doesn't want people to be lacking. His design is that we partner with him in establishing his will on earth as it is in heaven. That's right in the, out of the, straight out of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, we, we partner with God in, 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 in that prayer. And th- again, this is not, I don't think, to guilt trip us, but this is just to, to make us aware of the way that the world is set up, aware of how our ecosystem works. Ben sent me a good quote the other day, a little um, thing from Bill Johnson uh, on this. So he's quoting in this thing a couple of examples of things that Jesus says about the fruits, of the, the impact of not praying. It's one of these little um, reels, you know, Facebook or YouTube type reel. So it's really quick. And I, I try to slow it down, but it makes him sound like Darth Vader. So I don't think that works. Um, so I'm just going to play this to you. And uh, this, is, this is Bill Johnson quoting two, two uh, things that Jesus says about the implications of us not praying. Okay. Let's listen to this. The scripture says you have not because you ask not. So the implication in that verse is prayerlessness creates lack. We often think in terms of lack being God's sovereign will for our life, and it's not. It's just lack fills in where prayerlessness exists. And the second price that I will mention to you about prayerlessness is Jesus taught, he said, pray so that you will enter temptation. So the implication is, if I am prayerless, I will face temptation I have no grace for. And it doesn't mean I am prone to sin. I may resist the temptation, but the problem is, prayerlessness created a battle I didn't need to fight. If God designs for us to face a battle, it's only because he's already given us the tools to win. But there's many battles that people face that were brought on by prayerlessness. That was pretty quick. I don't know how, how easy it was to take that in. But basically, he said, two, he said two things. Jesus said, <clears throat> you do not have because you do not ask. That's a quote from Jesus. You don't have because you don't ask. So we have lack because we, don't, we neglect to ask God. And the second thing he quoted was Jesus saying, pray that you don't fall into temptation. Um, so that's again in the, in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the enemy. The implication being that if we don't pray, then we'll be facing unnecessary temptations that create battles for us that we don't need to be fighting. So really interesting, again, just understanding the ecosystem, the world that we live in, is one where we are together in partnership with God, the means by which his kingdom comes on earth. And our constant um, participation with God in prayer, like that immersion heater continually um, radiating heat in the baptism pool, um, that's, that, that's how it happens. And I've, I've personally just found this an encouragement in the last couple of days as I've been preparing this. Uh, particularly this thing about... Um, about thankfulness and just it's kind of given permission to be more grateful 
recognizing how it's just like sprinkled all over Paul's prayer life, this thankfulness. It's just given me permission to appreciate and be grateful more for what I see God doing and, and, and his goodness. So I hope too, as we're, we're surfing through um, Paul and, and his teaching and his approach to prayer, I hope there's some inspiration that's catching you up because I believe that God's growing us as people um, in prayer. You know, he's just gently helping us to mature in this. That's immersion. That was the second theme. And then the third theme is this one, is integration. So this image is, um, this image of body parts is based on Paul's teaching. Um, again, he writes in a letter to Corinthians that the church is like many different parts of, of a body. And he says, you know, one of you is an eye, one of you is an ear, one of you is a nose, one of you is a foot. And, and actually you're all vital. Um, to the health of the body. We're all needed. Um, a, a, a body without a certain body part is, is not in the fullness of how it's intended to be. You're having a chuckle about that, Simon. The foot's got six toes. Oh, brilliant. You should be a doctor. Oh, that's good. Yeah, okay. So that, that doesn't fit with the analogy. Oh, it's five. You should, should you be a doctor? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the kind of the, the the point here is 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 the importance of um, community and and the body. And another theme that we see through Paul, his teaching on prayer, his practice of prayer, is you see the importance of praying with others, um, with other Christians. And I want to just look at two examples of this. And the first one is. Uh, is here from the book of Acts, chapter 13. And I love this because it's a really, we've got a real mix of people here from really different backgrounds. And they gather together as church. And they pray, they hear from God, and, and they commission uh, Paul and Barnabas. Just going to go through who, who these people are. Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria was Barnabas. So Barnabas was from Cyprus. He was Jewish but he didn't live in Israel. He's from Cyprus. Simeon, who's called the black man. I don't, I don't know whether he'd have been from Africa or where he was from, but clearly he, he, had a, he looked different to others in the area. Uh, Lucius, who is from modern-day Libya. Manaean, the childhood companion of Herod Antipas. So Manaean would presumably, I think he was sort of a Greek in a sort of, no, no, actually Lucius was in a Greek city. Manaean, childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. So he'd have been sort of, you know, moving in royal circles. He'd have been, you know, arist- aristocracy, sort of wealthy um, family. And then you've got, um, and you've got Saul, whose, whose name becomes Paul. And he's, the, he's the, the, the character we're looking at here in the main. And he was a kind of academic, um, highly ultra-religious Jew from, um, from Israel. So you've got a real mix of people here, really different. And these, you know, Jews wouldn't have mixed with other people, wouldn't have mixed with any of these people in the past. But, but this is the church. Uh, these are people who heard the message of Jesus. They've come to know Jesus personally, been transformed by Jesus. And, and this, is a, this is the church. And a little, we get a little window here into one of their um, times of prayer. And it's, and it's not just a one-off, um, you know, half an hour slot. It looks like they've been praying and fasting for a few days, at least you'd assume. One day as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. So after more fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. And uh, 
I read this and I picture this kind of rich um, fellowship and friendship that comes from uh, from knowing Jesus and and and, and being in, uh, together in worship. And I, you know, I think we've, we've we've tasted this sort of thing, haven't we? We've experienced these sort of times of being together and God speaks. And so Paul doesn't just go off on his own on this missionary journey around the Mediterranean. He goes because he's sent by other brothers and sisters commissioning him saying, yeah, we recognize God's call on you. And as Becca was saying in the first half about the encouragement that there is from praying with other believers, there's this, there's this beauty of doing this together that we see in the, in the church here. So this is, this is Paul's first missionary journey. And I, I, I'm not sure, I haven't looked, I didn't ask ChatGPT this question, but they normally, I, I imagine he was traveling for a year or certainly or maybe a couple of years. It would have been a long time that they were traveling because it's slow travel around that kind of arc of the, of the Mediterranean. And then there's another little example we get um, in uh, a little bit later in the book of Acts when we see he's on his third missionary journey now. So this is some years later. And uh, where has it gone? So this is in Acts 21, and we landed at Tyre, this is modern-day Lebanon, where our ship was to unload its cargo. And interesting that the first thing they do is they go and sort of find the church. They go and find the brothers and sisters. They go and find the other body parts uh, in this place. We sought out the disciples there, and we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So they, they had some discernment. The Holy Spirit showed them that actually Paul was going to, if he went to Jerusalem, he was going to suffer. He was going to, he, he'd been through a lot of trials and suffering as we know already, but there was more coming if he went. And they, and they could see by the Holy Spirit that suffering was, was coming his way. So they, this, this is a, um, a gathering of believers where the Holy Spirit is there present and is, and is leading them. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. And I love this next bit. You can imagine, you can picture the scene here. This is church family all generations, at all ages, men and women together, all of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. I love that. I find that really moving. That you've got these, I imagine the kids are there as well, men, women, and, they're, and, they're, and, they, and they know that Paul's going to sea uh, on a dangerous journey. They know that he's going to Jerusalem. Uh, he said that even though he's going to suffer there, the Holy Spirit's told him he's going to suffer there, he's expecting it, but he feels compelled to go there. To Jerusalem, and, and so they know that they're they're with this man who's giving his life to follow Jesus with everything that he has, and that he's he's, he's, pro- he's probably going to suffer horribly, probably going to be more beatings, more lashings, more pr- more prison time, more uh, verbal abuse from his own from his own people. You know, the the, the people the, the people in Jerusalem were his people that he grew up with and that he loved and had the, had the same immersion in the scriptures, and he was going to going to these people knowing he's going to tell them about Jesus, that the Messiah that they've been desperately seeking for hundreds of years and and paul knows that this messiah has come that this is jesus he's the fulfillment of their religion he's the fulfillment of the faith that they've been hoping for but that that, but most likely they would just kill him rather than accept him and 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 welcome his message so they're kneeling on the shore um saying goodbye to him having had this seven days of fellowship and, and relationship with him and, uh, and and they know, you know, you're you're going on for some really hard things, Paul. But we're we're together with you. We kneel down and we say, Jesus is our Lord, and we we worship Him and we give Him our lives. Um, that's the sort of prayer meeting that we see um, through the Book of Acts, and I think that we see through the New Testament is where where believers have this shared love for Jesus, that shared experience of the Holy Spirit being present to lead and to speak. 
and there's, and, there's a, and there's a vulnerability in the sharing of lives as well. It's not just a, a sort of a list of prayers that you're working through. We had a really good time here. Um, so Ocod, our monthly 24 hours of prayer, the one that I was at on Tuesday was the 7 till, seven till 9 slot. There were just six of us sitting on sofas around here. And um, we had a wonderful time of prayer. Um, and the Holy Spirit was just, put, was just speaking to us and showing us what he wanted us to pray for. We prayed for some big picture stuff for the, for the city and for the nation. We prayed for some individuals and hope in the church uh, and some different themes. And, it was, and I walked away from here. And, and we also were, they were quite vulnerable, some, some of us as well, sharing some things that were quite personal to us. Uh, it was all in the mix of, um, you know, going back to uh, being seated at that table uh, with, with with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I walked out of walked out of here thinking, "Ah, oh, I feel great. I've just been with Jesus and just been with God, and I've done some work in prayer with my brothers and sisters together." It was it was a really special time. So, integration uh, that is a, a run through of um, of Paul's life of prayer, and it's my my perspective, uh, looking at um, both what he does and then what he teaches as well. And so uh, these three things, intimacy, immersion, and integration. And I'd just like to just, just finish by praying, if that's okay, um, into these three things for us. Uh, so recognize, Lord, that we are your, we are your body here on earth. And uh, we're so grateful for, uh, to be able to follow you, to be known by you, to be loved by you. So grateful for Jesus. And uh, we've got a lot to learn and a lot to grow in. And um, I'm just really grateful for that as well. Thank you that you, Holy Spirit, are, are maturing us. You're maturing us in prayer. And we say yes to that. Please keep doing it. Please keep growing us. We pray for our intimacy. That you help us to connect with you even when life is really hard. And to know that we're at that table together with you, even when things are really tough. In terms of immersion, we pray you help our lives to be more immersed in prayer, to have that kind of constant pulsating heat of of prayer and thankfulness. And also we pray for our times, our integrated times, our times of praying together with others whether it's just one or two or whether it's a lot more. We pray that these times are intimate, they're real, and they're led by your Spirit. So Lord, we're, we're pursuing your calling us to be a prayer centre. We trust that you'll do that in us, in us and through us, and we're, and we're on board. Amen. Great. I wonder if we could res- respond and finish by that song, um, Duncan. We did it before. Maybe I will offer up my life. Is that a is that a good way to? I think it's a good way to respond. Um, and I think the encouragement is uh, for us. And, and this is the way I've certainly experienced God doing things. Is that God God forming uh, maturity in me? Is that we, in a sort of soft and gentle way, say, God, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm up for this. I, I want to be shaped by you. Um, so I would encourage you that that's a, that's a good response. It's, it's a soft thing saying, yeah. and then we look back uh, in time and think, oh, 
remember I prayed that one time and actually God's done it. <laughs> I've forgotten all about it. I write my prayers down because otherwise I forget that I've prayed them and I, and I, so I don't notice that they've been answered. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're going to sing this song, I Will Offer Up My Life. And it's an opportunity just to say, um, God, I, I see what you did in the life of Paul and through his teachings. And I pray that you do, you, you do it in me. I'm not going to passively just say your will be done without any participation, but, I, but, I, but, I'm, but, I'm, but I'm trusting that um, we'll do this together. Spirit and truth pouring out your love as my worship to surrender my spirit, my every part. Lord, receive the sacrifice of a broken heart. Jesus, what can I give? What can I bring? To so faithful a friend, to so loving a king, Savior, what can be said, what can be sung, as a praise of your name, for the things you have done, oh, my words could not tell, not even in part, of the dead of 